Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Did you wash your hands? Did you really wash your hands? You're going to get salmonella. Jessica Jones, episode 102, a.k.a. Crush Syndrome, is brought to you by Baxter hemodialysis machines for all your dialysizing needs because kidneys are overrated <laughs> well done pete want to give a quick thanks to the person who uh, has already given us a review on itunes a reminder that we're going to be running a little contest for those who give itunes reviews the contest results will be revealed in uh, podcast episodes four five and six and we will uh, give more details about those later on in the episode It's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode? We open with a long shot here of Jessica Jones before we realize this isn't an interrogation room. They just have a few more questions for her. But of course, picking up after the events of the pilot and Hope Schlotman having killed her parents. It's been a long night. And Jessica Jones, because of her... Hours that she keeps anyway, she's used to it. So the cop wants to know how the Schlotmans found her. She goes over the referral, explains how she found uh, their daughter. And uh, it comes up that she had a, a bag packed and ready to go. Where was she headed? Pennsylvania, you know, for their great antiques. The older, the better. Pete, this is a scene that's all about little details. Obviously, because it's on Netflix, you don't need to kind of hammer home to the audience what happened last week, because last week could be, you know, two minutes ago if you're watching it uh, binge style. Uh, so they don't need to quite cover all of that. Yeah, a little, you know, kind of orient the audience that we're in a police station and questions about the Schlotmans, etc. But it's the little details. Here she is looking in a mirror again. She's itchy. She's uncomfortable. I think it, we're supposed to read in that she's not sure that she has made the right decision to stand up for, for things uh, as they should be, to be the hero people want her to be. Uh, I also love, Pete, that she can't keep eye contact with the cop as she's telling lies. Uh, you'd think that she's better at it. Obviously, this is a incredibly emotionally overwhelming time but uh, all just a little way to kind of reintroduce the audience to this character whether it's been five minutes or a, a week or five weeks etc and it's Kristen Ritter's performance throughout this episode and throughout the series so far that is really selling the mood and the tone um, you know, she's asked, did you know Hope was going to kill her parents? And that's really a stupid question for a cop to ask, uh, you know, somebody he's interrogating at this point. And she says, of course, I would have stopped it. Um, you know, clearly uh, she wasn't uh, given the bullet holes here. Um, but, uh, you know, the back and forth with this jerk of a cop and then the the reveal of the pictures of Luke Cage that they had broken into Jessica Jones's office without a warrant here and that she as a private eye, she knows her rights here, that the only thing they can charge her with is trying to make a living in this goddamn city. 
Pete, not quite sure uh, which side a, a judge would decide to be on concerning, you know, whether they can go into her office because it is a crime scene. Um, I suspect that probably is the case if we were going to be 100 percent in the real world. Uh, certainly there's enough gray area just to for, you know, just cause and all of that. In addition to the fact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, NYPD, not always the most squeaky clean <laughs> bit as we've seen from that other show. Um, that said, I, I, I really, uh, I will disagree slightly with you saying, oh, it's a ridiculous question for the cop to ask, Hey, start with the low hanging fruit. There's gotta be somebody in every detective's career where you say, uh, so, Hey, how you doing? Nice weather today. Did you see the game? Did you kill Fred? And it's like, yep, I killed him. Ah, crap. You know, I mean, maybe you go for the low hanging fruit. Sometimes you come back with a shiny new apple to take to the, to the DA's office. We wind up outside of Luke Cage's bar where he is now being questioned by a pair of cops. They leave. Jones goes in and he tells her we're not open. Um, she explains that she told the cop that he had nothing to do with the girl. And we start to get at why those pictures were taken. And. I had said in the last episode, I, of course, you know, I, I watch one, we podcast it. I don't have your, I didn't get your advance info feed <laughs> on some episodes. I certainly, I don't invest in, uh, in, uh, adult diapers and, uh, power bars to be able to do a whole season in one sitting. It's uh, power diapers and <laughs> adult bars. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, this particular scene, and of course, We'll get more info later as the episode unfolds. This scene had me saying, ah, here I thought she had been taking these pictures to kind of get some sort of, you know, emotional closeness to these people that she's watching afar. But no, we're told very, very clearly she doesn't even bat an eye uh, that the pictures are part of an investigation. Luke's lady friend is married. That's Gina. Gina's husband is suspicious. So he's got in touch with Jessica Jones, private eye. Um Despite the fact, Pete, that she's coming off as a little cagey and damaged yet again, fair's fair. We know what her last 24 hours has been. We don't suspect a thing at all concerning whether she's telling the truth or not. Well, we still don't know because later um, the wife says that Andre knew nothing about this. So still can't take that at its word. Well, I... I read that with, you know, with the information from that later scene, I will revert back to what I said last episode. She's just walking around the neighborhood and seeing interesting people and trying to kind of siphon off, siphon off the, the good things that they have in their life or, frankly, even, even their pain. She's trying to live her life through other people's, people's lives that she sees through the lens of a camera. Um, I'll take Gina at her word later on that Andre had no idea. Well, what it all comes down to is an admission that she shouldn't have done it. And, uh, you know, we're treated again to another mirror shot here and the narration for the first time. It's better to be alone. Uh, it's safer with Kilgrave out there. And the recurrent motif in this episode of, of the cockroach um, in the sink here puts it down into the drain and um, wondering how Kilgrave cheated death. It's uh, it's fitting that in this episode uh, where we're going to see some of the particulars of his death, that um, that they're just 
you know, they're they're saying, you know, he cheated death. And there's the line in the last episode, you watched him die. Now, I think in a lot of people's minds, Pete, such a death would have been, like, if you say definitive TV movie death, it's, you know, holding the dynamite, three, two, one, kablooey. It's, you know, the, 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 the car at the junkyard falls on you, squish. Um, I, I like that they're setting it up to be so definite. And then later on in the episode, we're going to see with our own eyes, yeah, there's some wiggle room there. And I think that's keeping with the world that we're we're in and certainly with some of the elements that are brought in throughout this episode but uh getting hit by a bus is a fairly definitive uh you know act i would i would certainly agree i'm just saying it's not it, it's the perfect act in which in which somebody can come back with serious injuries but a little luck, a little ability to, you know, maybe get some vital organs replaced easily. Um, it's it's 100% believable with the slight fictional bend that they're giving us in this episode. We're off to see Hope here in jail. And after the requisite sign in and, and move into a common area where she's handcuffed, we get at the questions here. When did you last see Kilgrave alive? And Hope after she doesn't respond for a couple minutes, starts to talk about jumping, asks Jessica, are you a good jumper? He made me jump for hours as high as I could, that it was her event in high school. She was number two in the state, but she was never as good as Jessica. And she remarks now that her brother, Owen, is all alone with the death of her parents. He's 12. Pete, I like that. I like that they they explained this as the high jump. Um, uh, this particular line, you know, he made me jump for hours as high as I could. That was in the trailer, and I just like that they dial back the duplicitousness of it just a tad. I mean, obviously, we discussed in the last episode how controlling he can be, sadistic, so on and so forth. Um, the notion that she was practicing the high jump over and over is just, it's a little less unsettling than jump up and down for hours. You know, it's just, it's a little less torturous. And I think, oh, we, I, I don't read that we're practicing the high jump, Matt. I, I read that we were in the hotel room jumping that, that this was, yeah, I mean, we'll talk later in our, uh, you know, theory segment what this can ultimately mean but i i think this is a little bit more malevolent than all right let's let's go practice the high jump i'll get my whistle <laughs> fair enough i mean maybe um i don't know maybe i don't know this this was not done at a field mad <laughs> fair enough fair enough I'm... and i say that not with a with a with a spoiler tongue but i say that with tone in mind Fair enough. Certainly the function of this, uh, I'll return back to a metaphor I used last episode, we're now at kind of the the yellow barrels portion of Jaws. You know, we're, we'll obviously see Kilgrave later in this episode, but this is that affirmation again of what a bad guy he is even before his, you know, b before he has come into the story, his awfulness is foretold. Uh, with that, Pete, Jessica repeats that it's not Hope's fault and Hope agrees. And there's kind of this glimmer for a split second. You're saying, oh, now that Hope is back in her proper mindset, you know, will she, will they have the chumminess that they did back in Jessica's office? But Hope just continues. It was Jessica's fault for leaving him to die, leaving him to suffer. 
And, you know, she pleads that Jessica leave Kilgrave alone. And then, Pete, we now have this question. We're back where we were at the end of the episode. Is Hope saying this out of concern or is she still suffering from the effects of his brainwashing? Well, she refers to Jessica refers to what happened as the accident when before we've been, you know, led to believe that this was an act that resulted in his death and not an accident. And then Hope tells her that she should kill herself, to which only Ritter could respond with and mean it, probably. But I'm the only one who knows you're innocent. It is amazing to me how the the storytellers, uh, Melissa Rosenberg, the showrunner, uh, the, the, the writer of this episode, we have the same director as last time, S.J. Clarkson, Kristen Ritter, they all are able to make Jessica so flawed and so potentially unlikable, but we sympathize with her. And you might say, well, yeah, of course you're supposed to sympathize with her. She was brainwashed. This is, you know, manipulation on this awful level and so on and so forth. But she was likable in, in, a, in an anti-hero kind of way, uh, even before we knew the particulars of her background in the first episode. It's a wonderful line that they walk. We get Jaron Hogarth involved at this point, who is overwhelmingly convinced Hope is guilty. The gun in her purse, the premeditation and all. Uh, There's a reference I thought brilliantly made to Patty Hearst. And if you don't know who Patty Hearst was, maybe go look her up. She had been abducted and then in a very famous case of Stockholm Syndrome, took on her captives her captors, I should say, plight as a captive. And she went on several bank heists with them and she was guilty too. She went to jail. But all of this is interrupted by Jaron's wife on line three, Matt. Well, interrupted by her wife, vis-a-vis Pam, the secretary with the plunging yes. neckline. who Pamela. Uh, indeed who you know is is quick to say no 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 you have to take this call she knows pete i love that um first of all i i love that they've now brought hogarth into this larger story in a way that obviously she wasn't last time to me it was kind of this duh moment where it's like hello of course jessica jones calls her lawyer quasi friend to help out in this situation um and of course, it's also a way to keep Carrie Ann Moss and keep the character of uh, Jerry Hogarth in the story here. Um, still, though, we have this little thread of the wife and the indiscretions and whatnot in an episode where I'm going to be returning to this idea of there are these little threads that shoot off of the main story. And they may be going somewhere and they may not be, but it's adding such richness like this, you know, office uh, romance here. You know, Let's one talk about um, Carrie Ann Moss's performance, this steely lawyer laying the the facts for uh, Jones on the table that, you know, this this is indefensible in court. And can we also mention how good Carrie Ann Moss looks? I mean, you know, girl has held up really, really well. Whatever, whatever she's been doing, you know, is it, is it all veggies? Is it uh paleo, whatever it is like, it's worth, it's worth finding out. Cause Pete, the words you just used are the words my wife said when I showed her uh, the, the, the pilot episode, exact same thing. Wow. She's held up well, because you start going, 
wait, when was the, oh, wow, the Matrix movies are close to 15 years ago, depending on, uh, depending on whichever, you know, the first one, second one, third one, etc. So, thumbs up there, Carrie Ann Moss. So, I guess all that, uh, all that jujitsu and uh, ninja stuff, uh, I guess it works if you keep doing it. But exposing to Hogarth for the first time, this brainwash aspect as Jones is intercut with Pamela coming in and saying, you know, uh, Hogarth's wife is on the phone yelling. You've got to take this call. Um, And the aspect of Kilgrave being able to read minds and make people do that, Hogarth deadpans, you know, I'd have him do all my jury selection. (laughs) Um, but how are we going to prove that this mind control is real if she can convince Hogarth uh, Jones will get her to represent Hope? And that's really the guts of this episode. And the scene ends with the one thing that Jessica can offer Jerry. JJ will owe Jerry a favor. And that's what kind of gets her to say, you know what, you go get me a little more proof. Maybe I am interested after all. Um, and, and I have to wonder if that's not, you know, if that's not a, uh, you know, a little story point they're going to come back to down the line and uh, what the nature of the favor will be. I'm certainly not suggesting uh, one uh, of office romance, mind you. No. I mean, that's not the kind of favor you have when you have somebody who can pick up a car. No, it's very plain from a story sense, given that once Jones leaves, Pamela comes back in and says, talk to your wife. She knows that it's going to be in that area of helping out with uh, this now uncovered uh, affair. We move to uh, the street here where Trish runs in to uh, Jessica, that she's texted her six times here, that she saw the news, that she's scared for her. But, uh, you know, they're just not connecting at this point. And Trish laments that she's given her whatever she needs and you can't even give me a minute. Pete, I am not much of a fashion guy. I don't know my 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 Versaces from my <laughs> from my Gilianos. Let me tell you this. Trish's coat in that scene and then the subsequent scene where they end up in her office, that coat is on point. I don't know what it is. It's, but it's on fleek. Is what we're trying to say here, uh, Pete. I don't even I don't even know these fashion words that you're saying. All I'm saying is that's a coat. Kudos to the the wardrobe department for picking out something that clearly belies the character's uh, you know kind of sense of elegance. The 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 circles she's running in, and you know Manhattan talk radio. Get me Madeline Albright and all that. Uh, thumbs up for the coat, lady. This was filmed during a pretty bleak winter here on the uh, eastern seaboard of the United States. So you definitely get a sense of that from the wardrobe. But uh, go back to the office here and uh, Trish wants to know what happened to the door. But she says the place is cute, which means in uh, Trish speak in the tone that she's giving that she thinks it's a dump that that uh jones knows her voice but uh jessica gives her the cash that she owed her and pete the story quickly stays on point uh it's interesting how even in this bingeable way it's clearly important to the writer of of an episode to kind of 
make sure the audience is always clear what's going on in terms of the thrust of, of an episode. Uh, Trish asks what is next with uh, Kilgrave, and Jessica explains we have this clearly stated story objective. Uh, find him since he's been hurt. Find him and kill him. So there's our there's our objective for the episode. How do we move closer to find him and kill him? And a weakness is floated for the first time there that we've got to find that. But uh, Trish is worried that she will die before that happens, that she can't think it's safe here, that she's not safe anywhere. And Jones talks about how it could be a cabbie, a FedEx woman, a talk show host who was her best friend, was <gasps> was Matt, oh. that she can't risk Trish. And uh, that she had her name on the door, alias investigations, a, a cute thread that's followed up later in the episode. She had it made special. And Pete, this hammers home how Jessica's damage is on a whole new level. She needs to push people away as she simply can't trust anyone because of uh, Kilgrave's effect on people. Back to the bar here, and uh, hey, Ansem, how about a Long Island iced tea? It's it's Gina, who I will admit, Pete, uh, I don't recognize her at this angle compared to how we saw her last episode. Um, but I, I I like how wounded yet prideful uh, Luke is in this scene. Um, he he confronts her. You know, Gina says that her husband Andre doesn't care, and then. Hey, sometimes you have to be direct in your story exposition here. Luke spells it out directly. It was a PI, Jessica Jones. She's the one that was hired. And by the way, you know, Luke has seen the pictures. And with that, presumably, Gina runs out back home. I'll admit, Pete, I would have assumed that this scene was just kind of an open and shut, you know. Oh, the effect on Luke is now Luke has been emotionally hurt by Jessica. She's hurt somebody who we anticipate they might, you know, they might. Uh, have a future together. Oh, I guess it's all gone. The comics were wrong. That comic analysis that I listened to for 23 hours was wrong. <laughs> you know, um, I thought that was just the story function. Clearly, there's a little more ahead in the Luke, Gina, Andre, Jessica Jones, rugby team, happy fun time adventures. And the scene does what it needs to do. In fact, it does more than what it needs to do without, you know, making it trite that it's keeping it real, that the word booty call is used, but but not overdone. And, you know, that this was two people who were getting together. He now knows that she is married, that he said before he doesn't mess around with, with married people. And we also know that uh, he likes women, obviously through uh, Gina and through having been with Jessica already. But, um, you know, where we go from there is Jessica examining this file here about a fatal bus crash that has raised concerns. The name Reva Connors is glimpsed again and again, and she's got her sticky notes here. Kilgrave, of course, has one. There's the community mourning what had happened, and there's a picture off to the side here of Luke Cage at a grave. Uh, the Schlotmans are visible. And uh, then we're, we're broken out of this meditative, uh, you know, uh, line connecting 
scene with uh, some yelling and uh, Malcolm in the hallway. Pete, quick tangential question, especially for the new listeners out there. And we certainly won't uh, retell the tale of uh, TV rights as given up by Marvel previous owners etc etc so pete here's my question one word answer from you reva connors related to the dr connors who becomes a spider-man bad guy no comment wow i was expecting just this flat no but oh man spoiler pete does it again um anyhow pete uh as you said, here we uh, we walk past Malcolm. He doesn't know if what he's hearing is real or not. Um, another question mark I have as the episodes move forward, what is the deal with Malcolm? It was uh, certainly mentioned at the uh, Jessica Jones panel at New York Comic Con. Or how about this? The lack of Malcolm details was pointed out that there's some mystery to him. So mm-hmm. at least we know this, Pete. The fighting upstairs must be a married couple or something. Uh, and what, what he hears, we hear definitely is not in his head. Yeah. And this, uh, confrontation between who we later learn is, uh, a brother and a sister over trying to, what's up? I said, oh boy. Yeah. Trying to cook uh, chicken cordon blue that, uh, ultimately Jones rips the door open, um, that she doesn't give, what she doesn't give, uh, what kind of kinky stuff they're into. Um, I'm dancing around, of course, the explicit nature of, of what's going on here as we sometimes need to do to keep it, uh, you know, accessible for everybody out there maybe listening. Um, but ultimately, she tells them that they need to keep it quiet and, uh, hey, self-respect, get some. Indeed, Pete. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know that the the lady later revealed as Robin, she definitely had a meat tenderizer, um, was dude in a diaper. And I'm not asking that as a joke. Uh, I think it was his underwear. She told him, get inside. You're naked. He definitely wasn't naked. He was in a state of undress below the waist. Fair enough. Definitely more on them, I think, as we as, more on them to be discussed in a later scene with that. Uh, we, we get a little taste of the chicken cordon bleu here and then uh, things... that's what we're going to call it. <laughs> uh, sure. Why, that That's the metaphor for two people who. Yeah, well, just yeah, I think, Pete, with that, let's just cut to the Jessica Jones flashback trying to get away from Kilgrave as he walks in front of a bus. Yeah, come back here, Jessica. Come back here now. The bus flips on its side here, and then she's back at the scene in the present time where that happened. We hear Polish being spoken, and she asks the guy in um, the uh, the car garage, the the car repair shop. Hey, if I were to get a hit, get hit by a bus here, where's the closest hospital? to which he remarks Metro General, which should, from Daredevil, uh, prick some ears up. Um, Of course, this is in Hell's Kitchen, so it makes sense that they would go to the same hospital. Um, But uh, when he goes, I'm sorry, when she goes to leave, the Polish uh, repairman, of course, tells her that rude girl is lonely girl. And Pete, that definitely is okay with her. 
I, I think that they capture the the energy in a big city hospital, frankly, in most hospitals, as she's snooping around there. She sees how you tap in with your card yes. to get into the computer system. And then, as we said with the previous episode, they're kind of going low-key on how they – not low-key, mind you, low key on uh on how they're showing her powers here hey she wants to get into you know a locker to find to find you know some way to get into the computer system just a little yank you know that 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 lock comes apart no problem the darkly comic touch within the series so far particularly in this point of the episode you know she opens up one locker she passes for whatever reason we're not sure gets to the second one after she hangs up a incoming call from Trish and uh, you know, rolls her eyes. And then we see her donning pink scrubs, how far she'll go here to get to the computer, the nurse dealing with a fecal situation in room 602, but through a couple references here, one to a Dr. Carter in oncology then that she had transferred in from Seattle Grace. We're hitting all of our uh, medical shows within the last uh, 10 to 15 years with references. Uh, I will admit, Pete, and I will admit somewhat shamefacedly, I had not gotten the Dr. Carter reference uh, until now, of course, to ER. But uh, I did kind of recognize the Seattle Grace one. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, not that I've seen that show in many, many, many years. Pete, it is not impossible, I will say, that somebody could think that the uh, the, the hospital from Grey's Anatomy could be a real place. Uh, so I kind of like I like the little kind of joke within the joke there, or kind of the conceit of it all. Yeah, and it works, and that we have the line from uh, you know the other nurse. Oh, like on TV to acknowledge the conceit is cute as well. But hey, why would a cancer doc need ER records? It doesn't quite make sense. But this is a way at the the bus crash records from a year ago. Um, that the doctor wants all the information on the John Doe that was brought in. We have the date, January 20th, of the accident, that it was a slow night, that there was one Charles Wallace, the driver. He had cuts and bruises. There was one woman dead on arrival. No John Doe. And we get the information here on Reva Connors because uh, this other nurse has some stuff to clean up. Uh, Pete... <laughs> The unsung heroes of the medical world, the nurses. Back in her apartment building, um, I thought it a curious detail. We weren't quite sure initially that she was in the elevator in her building. But, you know, in, in retrospect, the blood on the ceiling now from what took place in it, the apartment door, her apartment and office door is cracked open. And, of course, she rails the guy in there. Uh, who sent you, ow, his leg, Patricia Walker, that he was hired there to fix the door and the window. And it's a perfect example of uh, what she said last episode, which is that she's not particularly hiding her powers. I mean, she is in that she's not going 100% all the time, but the, the cut on his leg as a result of her, you know, shouldering open a door, eh, a little far-fetched, flip side, you know what tool was he using did it meet was it the screwdriver was it the angle was it you know it if you if you heard that story at the supermarket 
you know, you just say, okay, well, wow, the guy had a really bad cut, whatever. They had to get it stitched up. The fact that it is a result of her superpowers merely slamming a door open, um, it, it's just this great kind of marriage between the real world and this fictional world and finding kind of a happy medium between the two. And to move it forward and to lay story seeds for later in the episode, she's on the phone with Trish, who's getting ready in the studio here. And as Jessica is telling her not to send strange men to her apartment with power tools, um, Trish's assistant tells her to cover up her obviously marked arms with a jacket here, something that, uh, you know, we're going to find out a little bit more about. It's almost Pete like like she's predisposed to live a double life. Ah, it's probably just hard exercise. Yeah. Um, with that, Pete, more more on this wonderfully icky couple as Jessica wraps up the phone call, um, and uh, she's on her way out. And and upstairs guy uh, thanks Jessica for talking down Robin, his twin sister. Uh, yes. Not even fraternal mom. twins, Matt. Not identical. Yeah, just in case anybody out there didn't understand, you know, that that we're not all, you know, Ken dolls and Barbie dolls out there. Um, not even mom could calm Robin down like that. Yeah, there's a um, there's a Christmas story kid, not the protagonist in the uh, Christmas story, but the the boy that runs into Ralphie in the uh, department store with the uh the aviator cap on vibe out of the brother here you're really strong yeah (laughs) thanks for that buddy i don't know if they're planning to do much more with these two um if they're not to me it's just wonderful shading like whereas daredevil had out of necessity you know, multiple kind of hero characters that we need to connect with and we need to do backstories. And if there's going to be a kingpin, then there has to be people who are under the king. So we get that. That needs to be a huge world. The world of Jessica Jones is much smaller with the characters that you already have, say, from the comics. Um, And if they want to add little bits like this, where if we don't see Robin and his twin sister again, it worked. If we don't see somebody who we're going to talk about in a little bit, if we don't see uh, Jack Denton again and ever, the, the contribution to the episode and it's just shading of another weird, wonderful, small character, it's fabulous. After a subway scene, which the only real purpose is to get a flashback to have her, uh, Jessica, show her powers and and anger again in public smashing the window there after you know the the purple had appeared on her face and it and to repeat her mantra her her treatment of the streets again we get her looking for jack denton the ambulance driver that she's posing as a city transit investigator and uh the mother here of uh her jackie um, got nothing to say because you turned your back on him. That said, though, when uh, when Jessica really convinces mom that she's there to help, all of a sudden, Pete, Jessica must be from heaven. And <laughs> not not something that mom throws around lightly as we're about to see. 
Um, I like that there's a couple of shots of the conversation of the two of them from inside the house suggesting that he's in there. I mean, I don't think it's quite meant to be kind of point of view because clearly he's not kind of, you know, peering out of multiple windows. But Mm. just again, kind of fantastic uh, camera work here. Uh, And then, Pete, we get to meet Jackie Jack Jack. Well, some details important that, you know, he had driven off um, that the ambulance went a wall with everything that went on that night that uh, Jessica floats that she could maybe reverse the ruling to get invited in definitely a different approach from the Kilgrave. You're going to let me in and, and that kind of thing. And she's using her wiles to do this. But uh, she didn't know anything about a stroke here. It wasn't in the file. And the exposition that his body went into shock when he donated his kidneys. Yes, both kidneys. So selfless and brave. And, I mean, here you just see the, the, the religiousness of the mom. And, I mean, I'll, I'll preface the discussion about the mom to say we're going to take out of the episode what we can take. We're not We're not pushing pro or anti-religious agendas here but clearly the mom is 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 filling in the the unknown truth of all this with with a religious sense that has led her to led her rather to the wrong conclusion one does not donate both kidneys um the fact that god returned her son and angels paying for the dialysis machine there's such goodness in the world i mean (laughs) I don't know if the I don't know if the series or the episode is trying to make a comment about religion, but I know that we're not supposed to be in mom's corner on this one. Well, to see that the path that he had been on, that the mother describes that her son was on liquor all the time, that her prayers were answered. Uh, she even invites Jessica to pray with them after the disclosure that Jackie had disappeared for three weeks. He was found in an alley half dead. But uh that this thing, that this Baxter, we'll talk about that reference in a little bit, uh, dialysis machine is on all the time that the uh, the donor uh, gave this to them. We know, of course, it's, it's not God. And uh, she's got to leave the room. No flirting here. The girls always did like him. We know something's coming here. And Pete, it's, it, it's, it's, such a great twist here uh, and, and such a sad one that there he Kill. is. But Pete, the audience is supposed to think he's about to reveal Kilgrave is the baddie, but we end up finding out, Pete. Kill me. And it's just an incredibly potent moment that, uh-huh. you know, I, I think, I think at least for my purposes, he liked the liquor. Oh, the girls always liked him. I don't read that as him being a booze hound or, or, you know, up to trouble with uh, the wrong kind of lady. I just read it as mom's view of things. And, you know, her heaven is now his hell. And I mean, again, if we never return to this character of Jack Denton, it's going to be a character that's going to stick with you. Nonetheless, we don't, this doesn't need to be part of some plot. And we're going to go back and we're going to have flashbacks with Jack Denton driving the ambulance. That's all possible. But if this is it, I mean, my goodness, the, the commentary that it offers to the story, to larger issues, it's it's incredibly powerful. That Jessica tells him, I can't do that. We clearly establish a code for her. 
you know, we know that she's looking for a weakness for Kilgrave and she's going to do anything she can there to finish the job. But she's now got a personal code. And, uh, you know, the mother, of course, coming back in that she's upset Jackie. And uh, with that, you know, we, we see Jessica getting some info on the on the dialysis machine. Um, how handy, Pete, that we have a private eye main character who, uh, you know, when you're done with kind of character moments, can can quick get some info and and on we go to the investigation. And speaking of hands, Matt, hands off my brother, you cougar. Um, yeah, the return of Robin and at least unnamed in the episode, I believe. Correct, Pete? The, the brother's name is yes. not given yeah. yet. Um, so, yeah, just Robin Robin curses out Jessica and the brother just smiles. I mean, again, what a weird, wacky, sickening, strange vibe uh, that they add. And But pertinent from a, from a storytelling perspective, you know, she says, you're alone because you tick off others. And... Joan's response is is great. You know, lady, you're you're very perceptive and something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's as creepy as the two of them are. I love just what it brings to the story in terms of, you know, the big city and all the different people. And it, it's it's just this wonderful, gross bit of flavoring to it all. And one upset woman with jones to another she seems to run into a trio here from mrs denton to robin to gina now that the admission she's gotten from andre that her husband didn't hire jessica that she thinks she hired herself that she's jealous maybe this is her game this is what she does but andre knows now and uh hey sorry Luke's about to get his butt whipped by everybody on the rugby team. Pete, two thoughts from the scene. First of all, I wonder if uh, when Andre was asked about this, I wonder if he said, what are you talking about, Gina? That's a Martin reference right there. Second, hey, Pete, wait, a whole bunch of people going to beat up Luke. That could lead to a Luke reveal. It could. And in the bar, we see the beginning of the confrontation through the window and a really effective shot. Joan's not quite sure if she should go in and should she go in and get involved if she should reveal herself. But it's five on one. And what I really, really dug about this scene in the way that uh, Luke Cage is blocked with the fight is the disinterested slowed down a la neo in the matrix once he's he's got his groove uh vibe of him slowly disinterestedly keeping these people off of him um there's the bottle there's the knee um you know the guy says out loud because this is tv wait the bottle didn't cut you (laughs) you're drunk go home to your wife there's also um, just a little effect that I like. Now, last episode we said, or I said in particular, oh, Pete, they don't do anything as kind of low class as, you know, wire work to have Jessica Jones fly on in to, to Trisha's uh, 
uh, balcony there. Here, Luke slaps somebody, and they just have the li- the slightest bit of wire work to just show that this guy with the slap is now flying. I mean, not across the room, but it's flying a good ten feet. Where for you know, for 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 a lesser powered person, it would be a stumble or or not even move at all. Such as the nature of the slap. Um, it's Pete, teamwork, all- Matt. It is teamwork. teamwork. And let's not forget, too, that Luke also does get stabbed and the knife bends. Yes. And Jessica at this point is now, you know, she she's joined in on the fight. And I love with that idea of teamwork, Pete, I love that at a certain point, they're both operating at the same level of power. And they're and he's noticing her before she's mm-hmm. noticing him. And by the end of it, they're saying, wait a minute, you did that, too. But the bar full of drunks, they don't because you know what? It's free shots for everybody. <laughs> But Jessica's got to get out of there. This is bad for business. Well, Pete, that's great timing because we have more story to get to. It's the next morning and she gets a call from the uh, dialysis machine company, consumer hotline, whatever. It's not dialysizing. They get these calls all the time. Pete, it's a standard thing, the dialysis machine that doesn't dialysize. It's that's. That's 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 what you number call one it. complaint. <laughs> I would imagine that that would be the number one complaint is the 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 lack of dialysizing from a dialysis machine. But Press the... one if your dialysis machine is not dialysizing. Boop. Well, Pete, who's going to give the authorization for that? Dr. David Karata. Yes. And we see him in a classroom here rather mundanely ripping this group of uh, college students apart. And no sooner does Jones sit down than he's weirded out. And you're trying to quite wrap yourself around what what's going on here. Does he recognize her? Is this Kilgrave's uh, influence? And right about as he's going to go on the uh, short answer part of the exam, he bolts at exactly... Uh, 12.02 and 30 seconds. And we're ultimately led into a basement where there is uh, purple uh, all over the hallways. So we we know something is up here as far as Kilgrave's influence. Um, yeah. It's, it's a great use of color in the basement, not just the purple, but I think to help offset that and offset um you know obviously the need to properly light these actors for close-ups and whatnot the basement has blues and reds and yellows you know what would otherwise be just kind of a drab uh black uh scene um it's just kind of sold by these different and interesting colors and the dialogue confirms that this guy is dr karata which i think was the audience assumption but we had just cut from here's who's in charge of the dialysis machine to guy in college high school senior science right. question mark explaining no they're undergraduates um you know that she's saying you were the best transplant surgeon in the tri-state area and now you're dissecting frogs with undergraduates that you're hiding and uh he wants to know if he is here but um she reveals that uh uh, uh karata had uh forged Kilgrave's death certificate um still wanting to know if he is with her um why would he be with her because he's seen the pictures he's obsessed and to finally uh reveal himself 
and talk about the surgery with uh, EMT Jack Denton there that Kilgrave made him do it, that one of Kilgrave's kidneys was destroyed in the accident. The other had started to break down what is known as AKA Matt crush syndrome. It's just, just the medical the terminology. Thing. He said the thing indeed. Um, also the reveal there killed Kilgrave watched the entire time via a local epidural and, um, he didn't want to sleep. And, but Jessica affirming that he does sleep. So therefore, you know, what's, what's the middle ground between the two? Uh, if his mind isn't shut down, if he isn't asleep, then his power remains. Different with- functions are shut off by these two specific, and we'll, we'll mention them in a little bit, um, anesthetics. So Pete, I don't know if we should mention them, you know, if we're not sponsored, going to be sponsored by, you know, (laughs) by, by, by big pharma here, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push your propablaws or your sapadapadops, you know, I, we're going to stay generic medicine here, Pete, until we become the, the Jessica Jones podcast by fantastic geeks sponsored by, uh, listen, the the last thing you ever want are generic anesthetics, Matt, (laughs) you will wind up waking during your, uh, your kidney removal uh, <laughs> surgery, and it's not going to be pretty. And now let's talk about how Cialis helps keep the podcast up. Now, okay, back to Jessica Jones. Yeah, so it's this that gets uh, Hogarth involved. She's finally got the proof uh, Jones does to give to her and uh, to get um, Dr. Karada on the phone there ultimately results in Hogarth going to see Hope. And we're going to start at the beginning here, that she's her new attorney, that uh, the stakes are raised, that if she's going to use the public defender they've given her, she's going to spend her next two lifetimes in prison. And the reveal that Jessica Jones sent her to possibly corroborate what's gone on before. Pete, there's a larger reveal for Hogarth. She, of course, tells Hope that, uh, you know, there are possibly others as part of this macabre club. And Hope asks, there are others beside Jessica. And there's no reaction from Hogarth. But we get that moment of no visible reaction, which is a fine, fine actress communicating Mm -hmm. without going, oh, hold on now. Let me write this down. Click of the pen. It's just a great actress and Carrie Ann Moss going, "Uh uh-huh, got it. We're going to use that one later. Either we as the story or just Hogarth saying, going to file that one away too because I have a a favor coming to me and I want to have my eyes open here. Back in the office, the uh, medications... Suffinanil and Profifol are written in the file there. Um, and Jessica finds something wrapped up and uh, taped in paper. It's, of course, a new window from Trish. She puts her feet up and she gives her a call. The font is something she's, of course, got to give her a hard time about, that the one she chose was better. We see a rather sweaty Trish on the other end of the phone here that she tells Jess that she doesn't need protection anymore, that she would cut me out. And amidst the sweat, we think, of course, she's coming from a workout. There's mention of yoga. Her nose begins to bleed into her glass of water. And 
knowing that there's a bit more to this character from the comics, but not at least personally kind of having a ton of, uh, a, a ton of knowledge about that. Um, I, I think that, you know, myself as kind of the, the, uh, you know, ignorance to a lot of where the character could go. It's, well, what's going on? You, you, you usually associate instant bloody nose. You know, that's usually TV code for sickness of some sort. Is it cocaine? Right. Is it the aliens? Is it what, you know, is it whatever? Uh, instead, Pete, she was exercising back to her exercise room. She goes where she's been practicing hard with a trainer. With a trainer. So, you know, she wasn't uh, misleading. It was Jessica's assumption with the namaste that this was yoga. This is another type of training, self-defense, and uh, repeating again and again until she gets it right. She heard the click. She would have been dead. She really wants to be ready for what? Well, you'll have to wait and see. And I love that it, it you can read it in a variety of ways, which is usually the sign of a good, uh, of a good writer. Um, is it her own destiny that she is on? Is she just trying to protect herself? You know, is she on that path? Is she trying to protect herself uh, against the possibility of now that she's put her friend on this path of, uh, of heroics, if that blows back to Trish in a negative way, is she going to be ready for that? But uh, certainly plenty of opportunities in the future. Outside apartment 12B, we get a great shot from the back, of course, of Kilgrave's head. And this is the first time we have him in real time in person in the series. He knocks. The man is uh, made to invite him in. The wife wants to know who it is. He tells her, which she affirms, of course, that he's going to be a guest there indefinitely and that they're delighted. Enjoy the view. Um, I love the flourish of stepping on the kid's purple and black remote control car. And obviously a loaded line there that children should be seen and not heard. Better yet, not seen and not heard. Get in the closet. The reveal that there is a daughter. She's going in there too. That they're to lock themselves in. And just for a moment, Matt, that she had mentioned she had to go to the bathroom is a carryover from the, the hope scene from the pilot where she had held on uh, so long in the bed waiting for him that she had gone to the bathroom. When the puddle starts to appear from under the door, just because of the color of the floor, I thought almost for a second it was blood that she had done something to her brother or herself before you realize it's got a clear nature to it. The scene ends with uh, Kilgrave sitting down to dinner and cleaning his knife. Kind of, <laughs> that's the thing closest to the camera. So obvious yeah. uh, ominousness there. Um, well, just one thing I want to point out: they're they're eating leg of lamb, and this could potentially, uh, yes, the knife is there, and he he references having a particular palate. But I'm reminded of a Roald Dahl story called Lamb to the Slaughter, where. Uh, yeah, let's just say a crime occurs with the perfect weapon. Ah, I, Pete, was that perhaps uh, uh, adapted into a uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents? It might have been. Well, there you go. Um, two thoughts there about the daughter. First of all, she had what I thought was both headphones on initially. And then certainly when he, you know, tells her, you know, 
when she says she has to go to the bathroom and he tells her to get in the closet anyway, definitely one headphone is out. So just something I'm keeping in mind in terms of the nature of his of his power. It certainly would seem to be spoken as opposed to, you know, Professor X style, hold your head and go with your brainwaves or whatever. Yes. So um, Apple is also a weakness of Kilgrick. <laughs> well, Pete, so the scene in episode eight in the Apple store, that'll be uh, loaded. <laughs> Pete, if only she had new, you know, Beats by Apple headphones, then she would have been okay and she would have been the hero of her own story. Um, joking aside, though, to me, the, the, the urinating herself. That, to me, that was just a one step too far. I kind of preferred the – I preferred to not see it in the past episode. Um, I, I don't know what you achieve by two, uh, two, two gals wetting themselves in, in two episodes uh, other than to really hammer home kind of, you know, the, 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 the basic humanity that Kilgrave denies others. Uh, so it works. To me, it's just just one step too far. We get back to Jessica, who is uh, brushing her teeth, and um, the narration here that her greatest weakness is occasionally she gives a damn, and Kilgrave knows it. And there's that cockroach again, much like Kilgrave resurfacing, comes out of the sink. Pete, that's a metaphor. It's a total metaphor. Finger to the throat means death, and um, nothing gets over her head or past her from the sink, but she knows his weakness now, and she smashes the cockroach. Game on. Uh, once again, though, Pete, somebody has gotten into her apartment without her knowledge. I believe that is the the third person in two yes. episodes. Um, it is, of course, Luke, who, uh, big reveal here, um, he's confronting that they are both one of them. Uh, and Luke takes that power saw to his stomach, and not only does it have no effect to him, it burns the saw out. Yeah, that was a wonderfully effective reveal. Uh, apart from the confrontation that I saw you toss a man twice your size across a bar, he's remarked before a lot of liquor for such a little woman. Uh, she explains it away that it was adrenaline. And then when he reveals a buzz saw, you're like, wait a minute, is is he upset over what's happened with uh, Gina, but when it shorts out, when it, when the sparks go, uh, she puts her hand on his abdomen. Um, you know, she said she just wanted to fix things and he tells her, you can't fix me. I'm unbreakable. What suspects draw our focus in this episode, Pete, let's start with Andre. Yeah, the not-so-giant um, husband uh, upset about his wife's affair, coming to confront Luke Cage in the bar. He he fills a purpose, Matt, and that is to uh, unite Jessica and Luke in their awareness of one another's powers. I'm sticking with what I said before that he he is definitely the most aggrieved party here. He has not hired Jessica. He has uh, not suspected his wife of philandering. Uh, he is not spying on people as Jessica has been. Um, as you say, Pete, just kind of like a function to get things uh, get things going in the bar. And to get Kilgrave for the first time in this episode proper. 
that it was going to be a situation similar to Wilson Fisk, that we were going to mention the name and not see the character for several episodes in the beginning. That's not a failing of Daredevil, but it, it creates a certain effect. And we've, we've had these little flashes and now to see him invade this, this home, uh, lock children in, in a closet. All right. No violence to them. At least the understanding is for now or yet, and then sharpen his knife at the dinner table here with this family that we know more is coming and the things that he's done, uh, you know, manipulating this surgeon to have a double kidney transplant and the detail that these kidneys will not last forever. He's going to need new ones. I agree that it, it does not serve your, 13 episode story purpose well to introduce your big bad at the top of the first episode uh flip side though this story is served well by not holding off on the kingpin reveal as uh, uh you know for for as late as daredevil did uh if only because as i said earlier this is a slightly smaller uh scope that they're working in so you don't need to work through layers of entourage and layers of of interlocking bad guy organizations it's just him doing his thing so i thought that it was a perfectly appropriate time to bring him uh to bring him in and um i mean you have to just feel so worried for this family that now is under his thumb Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, let's start with exactly what is it that Trish is up to. Obviously, as mentioned before, the comics character has uh, has some heroics as that story evolves, but we're not on that path necessarily. Um, what what's your takeaway here that she's training so hard that it's that it's continually bruising her? The you know, meted out reveal of her arms being all scratched up and then seeing her uh, uh, late in the episode training with a self-defense expert. Um, She's worried about something, Matt. And, uh, you know, that that she says here, I heard the click, I would have been dead. She really feels the need to be prepared. Matt Baxter was thrown out there as the name of the hemodialysis machine. That name should have resonance for people who are aware of the Marvel universe as a whole. I I love that it is both a potential teensy-weensy Fantastic Four reference. Uh, Of course, the Fantastic Four not currently um, licensed to Marvel films. That's a 20th Century Fox property. So you kind of get the both you know, you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too in that, ooh, maybe the Fantastic Four are out there somewhere, but given that there are legitimately, as of when we are recording this, zero plans to have the Fantastic Four be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's it's a wink and a nod and, and a hope and a dream, but nothing more than that. How about Kilgrave's other functions here? Obviously, his powers spring from somewhere in his mind that the sedatives, that the anesthesia would in some way shut those down and that they would be different than the aspect of sleeping because we all know you're you're doing more than sleeping when you've had surgery performed on you. What would you make all that, Matt? 
I I thought it was some it was a series of great uh, little reveals here. I mean, obviously we're setting up, you know, we're setting up the kryptonite to this Superman here. There has to be some kind of trapdoor to give us a way out. Otherwise, what it's going to be Kilgrave versus Jessica Jones for forever. Um, between that, between what I'm sticking with is this notion that two headphones in, he doesn't quite have the same power. If you know, if you can't hear that voice, um, I mean, I could very well see some kind of climactic uh, final battle where there's you know earplugs in one hand and a syringe in the other. Um, I hope they don't maybe go quite as direct as that, since that's kind of what they've offered up in this episode. But we're defining the edges of his powers. And lastly, the reveal at the end, we already know Luke Cage is powered, but for him, of all things, to carry a buzzsaw into her apartment or maybe making use of one of the ones that was there, uh, something that just occurred uh, to me, to take it to his abdomen and there is no damage. A knife, one thing, all right, maybe it was the angle, whatever it is, a bottle, okay, we see that all the time. We don't ever see somebody get hit with the blades of a buzzsaw <laughs> and it to not have any effect. Matt, what was done to him? I don't know that. I think that clearly these are characters that are that need to walk a fine line between, you know, is everything going to connect back to the movies at all times is everything going to connect back to agents of shield and the inhuman storyline and the inhuman movie at all times. I think that they've left enough wiggle room in this particular corner of the Marvel cinematic universe to just say, sometimes there's powered people period. We don't need to have, you know, Jai Ying special crystal powder and, and uh, diviners like sometimes this just happens and if the show is choosing to just leave it at that which that would be what my theory is moving forward that you just say i've been this way for a long time boom and it could become something in season two season three in a crossover with agents of shield in a movie crossover or you could just say hey not for nothing these are all this is all fiction so if you want to fictionally say been been this way for a long time and not offer an origin in a show that is not offering you origin stories at least thus far i'm okay with that you're right luke cage uh season one it is <laughs> i guess that's possible too Pete. if only there was enough story time to do a luke cage story full-on coming to netflix next year Let's check the mail drop and hear what you all have to say. Pete, what do you have to say? Robert T. Frost writes in to Facebook here about episode 101. Many of the details are so very subtle, even sublime. I had to look a second time. When Jessica rescues Hope from the hotel room, there is the slightest hint of purple around Hope's eyes as she watches the clock while speaking about Kilgrave. You see it again in the elevator as she looks at Jessica and tells her to smile. Maybe it's CGI, maybe it's just the camera angle and shadow, or maybe it's just me seeing what the director wants me to see. In any case, it works. The bar just rose another notch. Wow, I'm definitely going to go back and uh, and look for that. That is a fantastic catch there. 
I notice some of that going on with Hope in prison. I don't know if it's a uh, an effect. It seems like it might be makeup. I suppose too. It could also be potentially like if you have a if you if you had a big piece of purple cloth by the lighting source or by the camera, you might kind of be able to get that reflection in camera. Uh, or not in camera, but like actually in her eyes and do it practically. Uh, regardless, though, I mean, what a wonderful, subtle effect. Um, Pete, we have an email here from Henry who who Iron Maned it through. This sent in the wee hours of Saturday morning, the show having dropped in the wee hours of Friday morning. Henry says, I am writing this a mere 15 minutes after finishing Jessica Jones. And Pete, let me stop and say the subject of his email is Jessica Jones' spoiler-free points. Uh, anyhow, Henry goes on to say, long story short, I watched the first three episodes while on my college campus. Then when I got home, I sat down and watched the remainder uh, on my Apple TV nonstop. Here are my spoiler three thoughts. Number one, less action than Daredevil, more psychological. Number two, after hearing David Tennant's voice on Star Wars The Clone Wars in 2012 and more recently on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I can say I will never think of his voice the same I did before. <laughs> Didn't sound too much like those characters, but now I'll never shake the connection. Uh, he tells us, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to parse his words slightly because uh, we want to keep things the most spoiler free. But he says uh, to watch out for a couple of cameos. Uh, one of which I knew about Pete. The other, uh, now I'm now I'm intrigued. Um, then he concludes by saying, "Back to point one: the psychological is a mix of idea and what we see. Some may be disgusted, and a few may be so disgusted you'll wonder why am I watching this before remembering it's Marvel canon." And Matt and Pete podcast it. I like Pete that. I mean, thank you, Henry, for saying that we we are some sort of uh, small authoritative stamp there. Anyhow, Henry concludes by saying, enjoy the series. I'll follow along with the podcast, watching to see what I miss. Hear you Sundays and Thursdays, of course, reminding people that's when we'll be dropping new episodes of the oldie podcast here. Pete. Thanks again, Henry. And finally, we have our first uh, review on iTunes um, from Titan by Gred. Um, the headline is Great Marvel Podcast, two exclamation marks and five stars here. It reads, these guys do a bunch of Marvel podcasts. This one is just as good and informative. Give it a listen. So nice little commercial there, short and sweet. Thanks, Titan Big Red. Indeed. Thank you so much. I uh, just want to remind everybody that in uh, podcast episode four, five and six for each of those we're going to be giving away a uh, special new york comic-con edition of a uh, marvel netflix jessica jones comic that was handed out after the panel we were able to snag three of those for you all everybody out there uh so make sure after you've uh shared an itunes review after you posted an itunes review rather just send us a quick email or a direct message on twitter just to say hey on itunes i'm you know I like Coffee 21, and that way if we pull your name out of the hat, we can uh, be in touch and get that comic to you. It's ready to go, Pete. I have them right here. They're here. They're ready to go. (laughs) I even have the stamps. Yeah, the heads up is going to be especially important because iTunes is not the most timely with the reviews. Indeed, there is nothing showing up that we have that even 
one review, yet you click on review and there it is. Again, Apple, please, we love your stuff, but get it together. <laughs> well, Pete, people who feel they get it together the most on Twitter are the ones who seamless transition. Follow you on Twitter. How can they do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,718 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, please be in touch with the podcast in a whole bunch of ways. The new one for the Jessica Jones podcast, our listener line, leave a message, hear your voice on the podcast, 732-707-1815. Uh, you can speak up to two minutes before uh, the old Google Voice will, will conclude the call for you. Um, you can also be in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's Fantastic with a PH. Under that name on the Gmail, the .com, and the Twitter. Add more, Pete. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. All one word. Again, with the PH, as you heard, Robert left his feedback there. Like us today. Just another way to tell us what you have to say, eh? Well, Pete, whether you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, where all our podcasts go into, or uh, just on the Jessica Jones feed, uh, we will talk to you all again on Thursday for episode 103. Uh, no Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, so that'll give us a chance to, uh, to get things going there for the podcast. To uh, the Americans out there. Good luck with your Thanksgiving prep, and uh, we'll certainly be uh, recording that one a little bit ahead of time so we can be enjoying apple pie and turkey and all that jazz. So uh, do share your thoughts for episode 103 ahead of time so you can uh, so you can get that as part of the podcast discussion. But Pete, for right now, time to wrap things up. I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Game on. Game on.